following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. But first, a quick break. And taking a moment to thank our supporters, Amica Insurance, Rocket Mortgage, and Veradesk. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Pretty good. I just talked to a professor of business administration and advertising regarding brand loyalty. Ooh, that is a really, really good topic that I'm sure a lot of people have very <laughs> heavy emotions on. What, 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 what made that come to mind for you? Uh, so I, I'm getting into uh, these battle royale games like Player Unknown Battlegrounds and uh, Fortnite, and my God, they're both like extremely popular. But with that comes right. the fanboyism, you know, the sports. Yeah, the sports around which is better. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Guessing. Okay, and like you know. It, it, it's really funny because, uh, you know, people that started with uh, PUBG or, like, Fortnite ripped it off. And it's like, well, like, Battle Royales have been around forever. So I don't know if it's really ripping it off. but um, right. And then, you know, it'll be like, oh, Fortnite's too kiddy, But then PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds is buggy and kind of a mess. And, you know, you'll have these fights of, like, what's better. But, like, they, they're both pretty different. and um, And it's also a matter of... You know, the one's free and the other one's 30 bucks. Like, it's not that big of an investment. But, man, people get so and so intense and passionate about, like, what is better, you know? I get that with so many things. And you know what? It's funny kind of hearing you talk about that because the apparatus for that is usually either, oh, one ripped another and they're, like, the real one. Or, yeah. like, well, that's really fancy. But I'm, like, a Joe the Plumber, like, down-to-earth kind of guy. So I do this. I play this. There's sort of, like, a – there's always a standoff between – People who love excellence and people who love, like, uh, originality. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. They're, like, being the hometown hero or whatever or being, like, have, being a Spartan about it. Like, Yeah. It totally feels like I, sports the way you just described it where it's like, oh, this is my team and no matter what, it's going to be my team. Right. right. Everyone's the true Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, like, I mean, that has implications throughout gaming. Like, there's always this type of – wars when it comes to because obviously like if a popular genre comes about there will be multiple games on it like the genre is not exclusive to one so inevitably there's going to be these like head-to-head battles you know right Uh, the the biggest spot that i find this bar none is is it's in it's not even with the video games it's a part of gaming culture but it's with the hardware it's the kind of hardware you have it's the kind of setup you have To give a little bit of background, like for me, my background, um, I've always been on both Mac and PC because I've always been creating things. And like being on a Mac has always like enabled me to do a lot of things for free because like when I was younger, they're sort of creative suite with like GarageBand and stuff like it was just objectively better than Windows Movie Maker and Sound Recorder. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, but I loved gaming as well. So I always had like a gaming rig, too. Uh, but I've always noticed this weird tension where people find this need to like, and it's the same thing with iOS and Android to like create these teams. And the teams are always like, oh, if you're on a Mac, you fancy. But for me, like, I'm like an auto mechanic, you know, like I know how my system works and I build my rig myself. And it's like, um, 
you can't dive into the details of how GPU architecture works. You have no idea. Like, you are going on Reddit and you're finding out the models of pieces to buy. Building a rig is effectively like Legos. It's really yeah. not that serious. But mm-hmm. people store these identities into the, or, or they talk about, like, how, like, Apple is so, like, really fancy. Like, I went into it and I didn't feel comfortable. Like, like Apple, like, their their commitment to, like, a particular kind of polish is exact it's the exact same thing as a Sony style sword. It is like you will turn away and say that like, you know, you're too much of like a real like gritty like hardcore like just down to earth simple person to to you'll turn away from Apple and then you'll buy like Razer hardware which is also incredibly expensive and proprietary but it has blue LEDs so it's dope. And it's like <laughs> I know I don't understand like like the price points and the brackets for these are the same but they're marketed differently mm. and people create these like first world like gaps where like identity is such a strong thing. So hardware is one thing for I'm curious to know like where it kind of rings true for you like how you kind of feel about all of it. <laughs> Well, no, like that's what, like what you said. There's like a sort of like there's the personality to it, right? Like, yeah, people are investing in what it represents almost instead of like, you know, you're just a consumer looking for what's best for you. Um, yeah, but no, totally. I mean, you know, I, I think we probably both experience like with consoles, you know, the whole like oh, the console wars, which is like right. the worst phrase in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I remember like when the original Xbox was coming out and there was like the GameCube, Xbox and the PlayStation 2. And for some reason oh like I was like fervently against the Xbox in like I was like in 4th grade or something. And it's like why yeah. like why do I even care that much? And then but it's a matter of like oh yeah, like as I got older and I actually trout out an Xbox 360 and played Halo, I was like Oh, this is really good. Like, what? Like, why was I freaking right. out about it? It's totally right. The other thing I where, where I really noticed it is in games, like, or just like games themselves that are in the same genre. So, like, I started playing League of Legends, and you know, I, I like connected with it. I didn't play Dota two or the original Dota beforehand, but like League of Legends just worked for me. When I did try Dota two, it just it it I wasn't it wasn't compatible with me, like. You know, it's a little bit more intensive with the strategy and the graphics were a little bit, you know, darker, which I think a lot of people prefer, but I didn't. Uh, So it was a matter of, ah, you know, I'm on the League of Legends team, but you see like how um, they go after each other, especially early on during during the as esports were like really starting to blossom. um, There was definitely like, I'm not watching Dota 2. I only watch League of Legends. And it's like. You can watch the international. It's not that big, big of a deal, you know. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm totally with you. I, and it's it's funny that you mentioned consoles when you do. I, like in in my high school, we had a completely. It's like we had a completely different language for where you landed based on your console. That was kind of similar, but a little bit different for where you mentioned. And what's funny is just how much it varies depending on what group of people you're around. Like, if you had a GameCube, like, you clearly made the dumb decision. Like, you're just, like, a teeny bopper (laughs) gamer because you didn't invest in where, like, the real gamer titles are, the real RPGs, like, the JRPGs, like, where all of the interesting things straight out of Japan were coming out of. Like, you just wanted to play Mario, you know? And And then if you had PS2, like... You were kind of superior. Like Xbox was always, always kind of got sideways looks from people because they were kind of like the new, they were the new kid on the block. You know, mm-hmm. nobody quite knew what to do with that online game. I mean, Xbox Live was a thing, but it wasn't really a thing like mm-hmm. until like the 360. You know, and 
I but I, then I remember there was like this shift because PC gamers who were, are always at the top for whatever reason because they like really worked hard to beg their parents to give them money to buy an Nvidia GeForce five sixty or whatever mm-hmm. uh, a fifty fifty eight twenty <laughs> you know what I mean like um, they like they realized that since it was Microsoft producing the hardware and it was like stateside like so, like um, the the if you open up the console. They were using like their part. They had less proprietary parts. So, what people were doing, what a lot of PC gamers were doing, was like they might want to play like Xbox exclusives. They'd get an Xbox and they would swap out the optical drive. So the optical drive at the time, I believe, was like eight X, and they would get like a thirty two X off of eBay and swap it out so that they had like like much faster load times or like they would swap out the ram and like try to like raise the try raise the ceiling on things so that different things would like load faster and i remember sort of a culture birthing out of that that oh this is like sort of like the raw hybrid between the two where like you can have a console but still be like a real gamer and <laughs> it all sounds so ridiculous yeah. <laughs> that's crazy it, it it brings up like the like having discussions about like what um microsoft their strategy in like the marketplace like that's a i feel like that's always like a fun conversation to have but that's not really like what the conversations are it's always like no what's better like what's what should you only own and like i feel like there's uh things that like microsoft could do better or uh you know certainly like nintendo does things differently than sony and microsoft but that's like not even what it's about uh, when it comes down to like these sort of fanboy wars and to your point with like gamecube is look at it as as a kitty sort of system i mean that really derived from like the original console war where like back in the 90s where you know nintendo had control of like the market share that's like sega's strategy was like okay we're gonna say nintendo's kitty and sonic is cool and it's for actually older kids um, and right. that's that's stigma. And it's everyone, crazy. Everyone knew Nintendo always lagged behind in the hardware department, so like that was also a big deal. Yeah, and that it's crazy. Even that, though that's all stigma. these games are developed to scale to the consoles they play on, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's so Sorry, strange. Go ahead, but no, like as in like <laughs> I have emotions. Yeah, oh, absolutely. No, that's that's the entire idea of it is very emotional. Because, but like it, it's crazy that that um, starting with that advertisement, like that stigma has stuck for so long that Nintendo is a kitty device. And you, it, it, you, if you're like, if you want a real console, it's it's either a either a PlayStation or a Xbox, you know, yeah, or a PC. What, what, I, <laughs> what I'm finding, what I'm finding as we're kind of getting older, um, is a lot of my friends. So, I mean, to, to clock me, I'm 30. Like for for a lot of for a lot of my friends, like they're switching over. Like they really, they really lo- like they they were against Nintendo in the beginning and thought it was this teeny bopper thing, but they really like the Switch because they're getting to that point in their lives where they value convenience over mm. necessarily having the most powerful thing. Like they just want the thing that sort of works and is, is kind of like flexible to like their lifestyle that now includes more things than just like sitting in front of a desk. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they're sort of like, oh, I like that I could just lay in bed and kind of get them kind of like knock this out. You know what I mean? Like this is like a cool, the cool secondary or whatever they'll kind of call it to sort of 
throw it in. I, I think that's really interesting, too. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Traditional static offices are a thing of the past. Today, companies and employees want an active workspace. Veradesk helps people reimagine their office design. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health by boosting energy and productivity. Veradesk Active Workspace solutions make it easy to encourage more movement in a day. The new ProDesk 60 electric standing desk is the cornerstone of the active office. It's designed with commercial-grade materials, stable at any height, and fully assembled in under five minutes. Plus, all Veradesk products are made to last. They're also simple to set up and move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. Check out Veradesk products, including the new ProDesk 60 electric, risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns. Learn more at veradesk.com slash Forbes. That's V-A-R-I desk.com slash Forbes. This podcast is brought to you by Amica Auto Home and Life Insurance. When you call Amica, you can expect a different experience because Amica is all about customer service that goes above and beyond the ordinary. You always get the help you need when you call Amica. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes today. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like my, uh, my sensibilities of, like, what I want as a consumer have changed where... Um, yeah, like going back to Fortnite and PUBG, I think like I would generally like PUBG more just because it's a little bit more unforgiving and intense. Um, but like the other part of me, like might come home from work now and I'm like tired. I'm like Fortnite just feels good sometimes just to play, you know? So it's totally like your sensibilities will change and that's just like, how you are as a consumer there's not like one right way to do something you know yeah and clearly both both of them are both of those uh games are working so they've they've done something correctly uh in the marketplace so it's not like you know one's better than the other yeah it's also i i what's like something that you've like defended to death because (laughs) you were like so loyal to the brand because like <laughs> you know, like where, like, okay, like, oh no, you're gonna make me. I can't. You're gonna make me show my show my true colors. Absolutely, I I'm happy. <laughs> I, like, to do this. I like being subversive. I like I like appearing like I don't have a side. I'm just there <laughs> to make people see more. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I think nowadays it's not so much uh, that that I defend something to the death, but there are still th- like I would defend like the flyers to the death. Like they can okay, do no wrong. They've done nothing yeah, yeah, wrong. Yeah, like even though they totally have, and I like point out when I'm like, okay, the fans probably shouldn't throw wristbands on the ice. Like that's not cool. Probably don't do that. But like the Flyers are the best. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I got you. Um, something that I would defend to you know why don't why don't you start? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think outside of a outside of sports, like in games. Like I I was very. Like, when it comes to, like, League of Legends for a while, like, this is a few years ago because I'm not as dedicated to it as anymore, but, like, there's a period where, you know, when people are like, it's too inaccessible, I'm like, it's very accessible, you just need to spend a thousand hours in it, it's fine, like, I'll just get very up in arms of, like, it's a great game, you just need to try it out, why, why don't you just try it out, uh, but, like... And it's also when I recommend any type of game to, to people, or even bands that I really like, and I'm like... They're amazing. Oh, Green Day. I'll defend Green Day to death. I don't care. I don't care that oh, yeah, we talked about terrible. that. That's great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there, I, I, absolutely. Like, it's funny. I feel like uh, in music, there's actually no. I was about to say that in music, these type of like 
fanboy wars don't happen, but they absolutely do. Oh, and, they 100% do. Yeah. And especially like, if you're talking about Gearhead. Listen, the more the more it involves predominantly dudes, the more <laughs> there's like it's absolutely a competitive thing, right? Like over <laughs> Yeah. The more it's like just petty like the thing that I own is like the real thing because oh <laughs> uh, whatever. Yeah, some what's... arbitrary reasons in my life led me to this and I found a bunch of people who agree with me. Exactly. Like... You 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 invest so much time and energy into it that it's like it's 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 someone's insulting you if they don't like it, you know? Yeah. I'm like, no, yeah, Green Day no, was important. Real. You're wrong. You're wrong, you know. The the best the best like example of that or the best place to find something if if anybody who's listening is a drummer um Fred Armisen, uh the guy who's on SNL and he also is one half of the duo that stars in Portlandia. Mm-hmm. He recently put out a free comedy special on Netflix. We need a Netflix subscription of course. Um called Comedy for Drummers and it's just inside baseball stuff. You can still follow it if you don't play drums, but as someone who's a part of a band and like had a drummer that was very particular or whatever, you know what I mean, like um, it's really interesting to kind of see the pattern of how people take pride in things and the tribalism around it mm-hmm. and also how universal it is across other things. Um, but for for me, I would say, you know, the two things that I really – so one thing – and I was actually kind of journaling about this the other day. One thing I learned a few years ago is to just let people be wrong. Like I really just kind of don't fight to the death anymore. I just mm, let yeah. people be in their space even if it's wrong and let them be content. Don't get in the like, comment wars but, on Reddit. Right. Exactly. But when there was a time when I would try to stick up for things and defend things, um, I've been an active Apple user since about 2002. Like my first my first computer was the G4, the 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 G4 with like the mirror double doors, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was the coolest machine that I ever had. And I got to make so many things that I never thought that I'd be able to make with it. And I watched them grow and have like like a. like a not even mentionable amount of like market share in the kind of technology people are using. Um, I kind of got to watch the timeline from there, like first gen iPod to now. And it's amazing how many, it's amazing the way that they think versus everybody else. And there's so many different nuggets of philosophy that Steve Jobs would throw out over the years that I really clung to, like not being about speeds and fees and seeing how that sort of plays out within games. I would say, the the company that I defend a lot is Nintendo, and it's it's honestly because a lot of their philosophy dovetails with Apple in ways that are really interesting. That I don't think, uh, I don't think a lot of people see right away. But th- there's always something about the set apartness of like a company that I really enjoy, or like um, something about public companies operating like private companies where. Mm. They just like put out these like R and D type projects where they haven't existed before. There is no, there isn't a one hundred percent success rate. They're willing to like take the failure in order to like move the notch forward. And I feel like a lot of people in the moment like they write that off and they'll laugh at it. But in the grand scheme of like history, whether it be consumer electronics or gaming or whatever, um, it's actually quite valuable that it was there. Or it turns out to be just the seed for like, um. this like monumental change that maybe another company will take over for. And I guess I like that daringness way more than I like, like uh, tech and like gear curmudgeons, like saying, Mm -hmm. well, back in my day, or they should just stick to what works. Like, Mm -hmm. so I think, I think that's my thing. 
Yeah. Um, even though, but now these days I've, I've given up on it. It's just like, yeah, you're right, Chad, whatever. <laughs> but no, it's totally like, I, I do feel that way sometimes where I'm like, well, you're not a businessman. They've clearly done something right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, my favorite thing was saying, Apple is the wealthiest company in the world. The last thing they need is your breathless opinion on X. Like that was my favorite, like reply for things and like now it's just like i don't even i just enjoy my stuff and like that's it <laughs> yeah i guess that's like the philosophy they follow they're just like we're just gonna do whatever we're not gonna right you know be swayed by like someone's comment on uh on reddit which is like probably yeah. a good strategy to have uh, something that popped up in my head yeah. that i am now like yeah i i was unabashedly like part of like getting angry about this was um rock band the the game Versus Guitar Hero, where after Guitar Hero 2, the studio that made it, Harmonix, <laughs> made Rock Band, yeah. and I Correct. was always on Harmonix team, and I defended it so hard, and I was so mad. Like I, I was like, Neversoft doesn't understand Guitar Hero. They don't understand how to make a note chart. And it was like, and like my one friend was so into Guitar Hero 3, and it's obviously like a super popular game and everything. I do have like legitimate gripes against it, but at the same time, I got very, very like no rock band is the best, and I would go on like gamificus and write. Well, oh my god! Oh, I, like, I must it. have been like sixty or seven, it. probably too old to do this. I was like on gamificus going like, no, no, Guitar Hero does it wrong, and I like wrote these like crazy diatribes of like why rock band is better, especially like when you turn on like your special and you do like a, a drum film like. There's a big difference, and it's so far better on Rock Band. It's just like I got way too into that, <laughs> and now I don't even play it. I don't even care. Like it's not a thing in my life anymore. These moments, they're so huge, right? Like in the moment, they're so huge. Yeah, it just feels important, <laughs> and I, it's, it's. I think it's part like kind of going back to this conversation uh, I had. It, it's like you are self-identifying with the brand and any comment on that brand is a comment on you, your ego and your decision-making. And so you yeah. defend it to the death. So yeah. I think it'll be a, it's, it, it's uh, part of it. You have to like look back on yourself and just like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, like let's, uh, let's get into this, uh, this interview. Uh, we talked to Tiffany yeah. Barnett white, who's an associate professor of business administration, and advertising, at the University of Illinois, and we talk about why people are so so loyal to brands, even if they uh, if they do them wrong. <laughs> Let's do it. But first, a quick break. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Commercial real estate challenges? For 160 years, companies around the world have trusted Savills for expert guidance and perfect workspace solutions. See what Savills can do for you at savills.us. 
with us now is Tiffany Barnett White, an associate professor of business administration and advertising at the University of Illinois. Thanks for uh, joining us, Tiffany. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I feel as though people in gaming often associate themselves with products like they would a sports team, like you hate your rivals and there's a total devotion like through the good and bad. So I was curious to learn about your research on brand loyalty and why a consumer would become that much of a champion of a product. Yeah. So um, just by way of background, I do study um, a couple of things that are I think are relevant to you. One of those is how consumers come to form attachments to Mm -hmm. brands. And uh, then, of course, the second part of that is what are some of the outcomes of those brand attachments and how do those affect the way consumers behave and also how do they affect the way consumers feel both about the brands and about themselves. And I guess I guess what might also be relevant is how do they affect the way um, consumers feel about competitive brands. And um, so I guess one of the aspects of my research that's that's maybe relevant is that one of the reasons why consumers form these kind of brand attachments is because they come to believe that there is a high degree of overlap between what the brand is all about and and who they are or who they want to be and i think that's where all the action happens when when we in our lab we talk about that as uh and in many among many marketing researchers we we call we refer to those as these self-brand connections these feelings of this sense that, you know, where the brand is, you know, there's a sense of weeness between the brand and the and the consumer. And that's when all this, you know, the emotions get heightened and, and all some of the fun stuff, rivalries uh, start to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like it's less of a one-on-one relationship. It's more that these, like a consumer will, you know, invest themselves in the brand and like become the brand in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Wow. So like... You mentioned like some examples like uh, in some of your research, like the Toyota recalls that happened. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, for those who really have come to believe, you know, and, and I, I have to say maybe I maybe even me, you know, so I, I've driven Toyotas for years. And so, you know, there we, we know that there are lots of folks who believe that there's a certain sensibility to, to, to about that brand. There's a certain um sort of quiet, understated excellence in terms of performance and reliability. And when people come to believe that those characteristics are really similar to who they are, you know, they, they, again, they have these, these this high sense of a self-brand connection. What happens then is, um, you know, just like the brand idea or concept reflects, you know, I guess there's this sense of similarity between who the brand is and who the person is, then, you know, when great things are going great for Toyota, that's really great. You know, I feel, I feel great about myself, but you know, with that Toyota recall, a lot of what happened is that then, you know, when the brand behaves badly or there's objective evidence that the brand, um, you know, a failure, then consumers really start to internalize that as a sense of self self failure and, and lots of suboptimal things happen. Mm. It reminds me of a, uh, uh, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog is like a, a long time franchise in gaming, but hasn't had a sterling history in the last like you know, uh, fifteen or so years. Uh, but people still really follow it and dedicate themselves to it, even though you know it's been a rough go. Is there like a a reason for that? Is it partly fueled by like nostalgia or? Well, I, some of some of it could be nostalgia. I, do, I definitely think that people. Um, particularly when you're feeling 
threatened in the world, you know, your job, the economy, all those things, we tend to latch on to things that feel true to us. And a lot of times those things are things that, you know, are, remind us of, of times when we weren't feeling threatened or we weren't feeling, you know, a high sense of uncertainty or arousal. So, so, so that's definitely some of it. The other part of it is that when we, you know, when we really have formed these attachments and there's some threat. So, for example, a new player comes in. A lot of what's happened with Sonic is the hedgehog is that there are new, you know, more shiny things in the environment. And those things can feel threatening. And when we experience this sense of self-threat, um, either, you know, because of something, you know, some negative feedback we got at work today or because the brands that we hold true are being threatened by competitors, then we become ego defensive and we just hold on to them um, just to sort of maintain that sense that of wellness and well-being. Yeah, I I, I feel like uh, I'll like uh, if I have like a bad day or something, I will want I want I want to watch like the Flyers, and if the Flyers lose, it feels even worse. Like I just yeah. want to see them succeed almost, you know. It's true. Definitely, you know, these kinds of experiences, you know, let's say the Flyers do have a good day, they can restore uh, otherwise negative feelings of um, of like, you know, the, the, the very threats that I talked about. And, and also we know that people, you know, given their druthers, prefer to be around things, you know, added, you know objects that they love. Um, when they're not feeling great. And those can have restorative properties in terms of people's subjective sense that they feel okay. And also, um, you know, objective measures like, you know, skin response and neurological, you know, you know, indicators of wellness. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. So like uh, with, you know, consoles, like the hardware itself, um, is there an element of all this that um, maybe it's, people defending their purchase so like you know you spend hundreds on a playstation 4 and if someone says oh it's not that good the xbox is better people will feel like that's your consumer decisions being criticized yeah i mean these things you know one of the a sure way to make a person experience a sense of threat is for them to feel as though they made a bad choice because we, as humans, you know, not just as consumers, but as humans, we want to feel that there is a consistency between our attitudes and our behaviors. So if we behave in a way that appears to be suboptimal, then that gives us some feedback that we, we didn't do such a good job in forming our our attitudes and our evaluations, and, and we don't like that. And so we we engage in whatever kinds of cognitive or, you know, thinking and feeling activities we need to in order to try to feel better about ourselves. And that's where we get into some justification behaviors and um, and just really trying to reevaluate why did we feel that way. And sometimes that leads people to feel, um, to be kind of defensive or to, to, to feel uneasy about, about the choices that they made. Or probably like lash out at like the competition to like get a, sure. get a step up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, you know, that, you know, that happens all the time. You talked about, um, you you think about the Sega and the Nintendo wars, uh, you know, <laughs> in the 90s. I mean, that that is just classic. You know, it's a great way. It's not unlike, you know, Apple and, and Samsung duking it out and, uh, you know, about who's the next big thing. I mean, those have real implications for the way consumers feel in the moment and also, you know, longer term effects as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, you mentioned that, like, I feel, I guess, like, specifically in gaming, like, I'm sure this type of consumer behavior has been going on forever, probably. Um, 
But uh, yeah, in like the '90s, there were these adverts. Like Sega, I think Nintendo had like a market share in the industry of like ninety percent, mm-hmm. uh, and Sega created these very pointed ads towards Nintendo where they said they were kitty and the Sega did what Nintendo don't. Uh, so do you think like those type of, uh, adverts like kind of fuel this, like us versus them passion around, uh, these gaming products? Yeah. I mean, and it, it not only is that the case, but it, but it activates this, um, uh, it, it, it provides two, two paths for one, you know, for the, uh, Nintendo lovers, um, it, it does feel a little bit like you're being attacked, especially insofar as Sega really did offer things that Nintendo did not. Uh, so you, so you definitely, you know, you can't deny that, and it and it makes you, you know, so so you, you know you can expect that to have some kind of an ego defensive kind of response. But the other thing it does is it creates a community of underdogs uh, of Sega lovers, and it actually gives them a little something. Um, to puff their chest up about, um, because again, you know, there are these really objective ways in which Sega can offer something that uh, Nintendo doesn't. And, and again, it happens in, it happens with other brand wars as well. Uh, and, and, and in that sense, it's as old as, as branding, uh, as competitive brands. Mm-hmm. Is that still like, is that a still thing in advertising uh, where like, a, is, is that like strategy of, having a competitive focus where the copywriters are very focused on like bringing up the deficiencies of competitors. I mean, so it it works when it works. Uh, So if you have a point of functional differentiation, so for example, I don't know if, you know, I should talk about other brands, but let's imagine that, you know, a brand had, you know, some functional differences or, yeah. So, so, you know, like Sega could l- literally do something that Nintendo could not. Um, there was, it provided some technological advantage. In that case, insofar as that point of differentiation is meaningful, then firms, you know, any brand is, is smart to talk about that because, you know, at least in the short term, that, that sense of, that source of advantage can't be competed away. And so it makes sense to talk about that. Um, the real issue, you know, and and so the real issue come, becomes, do people value that point of differentiation? And what brands are banking on is that some people do. Well, what happens, though, is that, you know, if you tell me, um, you know, Android provider, that what you can do that my, my Apple product cannot do uh, is, you know, you can give me some widget capability that I don't really care about, then that can actually have a backfiring effect. And so, you know, it gets it gets complicated. But and so it's not a light decision that that firms make whether or not to focus on specific types of competitors. It really is a thoughtful analysis of what your brand can do really that's distinct versus what people perceive it can do. Mm -hmm. A lot of what some of these brands do to be perceived or to feel different really has nothing to do with functional differentiation. It's just the brand has a different kind of personality. You know, it's uh, an underdog or a rebel brand, and then this brand is a sincere brand. And so these things are not functional. These are subjective things, but firms work just as hard to convince you that they're different in ways that are not so tangible. And sometimes that can be just as effective. Mm-hmm. So, like, for um, <clears throat> for businesses and advertisers with this type of brand loyalty, I would, like, is that 
I suppose is a good thing, right? Or like that people are so dedicated to your brand, but is there a way it could backfire where maybe they're extremely defensive to changes because they're so loyal to the brand? Yeah, I mean that 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 also happens. I mean, in fact, um, you know, some of the research in my own lab suggests that you know firms have to operate very carefully in this space because um, you know brands are always changing the environments are dynamic and and so for any there's any number of reasons why um, brands need to make fundamental changes to um, the way they present themselves or the the way products are formulated and you know they need to it's important for them in that situation to understand the basis of consumers connections with those brands and not compromise those those things so if a really big reason that you know I believe myself to be you know an a Nintendo lover is because there's a certain kind of functionality or there's a certain spirit or attitude about this brand that really is why, you know, I, I believe that there's a sense of connection between us. And it's really important for um, Nintendo to make changes other than those kinds of changes. And so always listening and understanding uh, your users and, you know, understanding what is drawing them to you in the first place is really important because, you know, that gives you you know, less leverage to make changes in those spaces. Mm -hmm. It is interesting to see like how far a company can go to make significant changes when you have such like a dedicated uh, fan base. Um, And I I wonder like uh, these brand communities are super important. I mean, firms have to listen. They have to be listening to customers. Most of the, the flips or the mishaps could have been anticipated by the way, with listening. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it's also, I guess, they might have to, like, separate, like, uh, you know, they might have, like, a visceral no reaction to this big change we're making, but internally we've tested out a lot um, and know we feel it's going to work, but I wonder how much they have to think about significantly, like, how the uh, how long or how significant of a loss they might feel once they put out this big change that they, you know, have total faith in. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that becomes a really uh, interesting dynamic and just framing changes in a way, um, that, you know, give consumers the opportunity to understand those changes and how they do and don't fund affect the fundamental nature of the brand. Um, so it's, you know, this is this is why I love my field. This is why I think this, this is an awesome uh, industry to be in. Anything to do with marketing because it's never the same. The playground is always changing. Consumers are dynamic. They're always changing. And just understanding how to best, you know, gain and maintain those relationships, those really valuable relationships is what gets me up every day. Yeah. Well, actually, I think that's a great note to end on. Uh So, yeah, that was, like, really interesting. Thank you so much uh, for talking. All right. Thank you for having me. Eric Kane and Paul Tassi are away on break, so no segment with them today, but we'll have them back next week. And with that, that's it for the Forbes Overworld podcast. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hi, I'm Spencer Raskoff, the CEO of Zillow Group. 
and I have a new podcast here on Podcast One called Office Hours. Listen as I have one-on-one conversations with other CEOs. We have the kind of conversations that can only happen between peers, tackling tough questions, sharing hard-won insights, and helping to define what leadership means today. Join me twice a month on Office Hours, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is... Tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.